This is Higher Ed Heroes with Dr. Sebastian Kemp and Dr. Alistair Stark. Hi and welcome to Higher Ed Heroes, our podcast series that zooms onto all those little things we can do in our classroom. The little things that can make a big difference. My name is Seb and as always I'm being joined by my friend and colleague Al who I think it's fair to say is still jubilant today about Scotland having finally qualified for the Euro Football Championships. Oh thanks Seb, 22 long hard years. Hi everybody, the series is motivated by our belief that what ultimately matters to the student experience is what happens in our classrooms. But in our university, we get to talk a lot about course design, teaching policy, budgets, but we don't really often get a chance to talk about small examples of good practice that can have a big impact. And it's exactly those examples that we like to have conversations about. Not just between Al and me, but especially with guests we have on the show, teachers, practitioners who do things in their classroom that um, we hope will inspire our listeners to think about adopting them to their own teaching. And as always, we want to have those conversations without using the kind of jargon that we hear in our teaching committees. So, a buzzword-free zone. If we hear certain phrases, we have what Seb calls the democratic buzzer. I wish it was more autocratic, but it sounds like this. No. So, blended learning, work-integrated learning, flipped classroom, research-led teaching, these are all no-nos because we want to encourage a conversation which takes place in everyday terms. So in our podcast today, we're talking about all things tutoring. And to do this, we are being joined by two excellent tutors, Dr. Federica of Fedi Caso and Robert Archidiakono, both who have been having lots of experience tutoring in the School of Political Science and International Studies here at UQ. So, Fedi and Rob, welcome. Being a tutor is such an important role, given how much of the student's actual learning experience occurs in tutorials and in seminars. And for that learning to be effective, it's key to set the right tone and to establish some ground rules. How do you guys go about doing this? Let's start with Fedi. I, I think that that's, uh, that's really important for my teaching practice. So usually I take the first, the first tutorial to, to talk to my students, to get to know my students, and also to set the rules of engagement, as I call them. <laughs> I study war, you know. <laughs> um, and usually these are very simple rules, such as there is not such a thing as a stupid question. I want, that sa- I want the room to be a safe space for students to stumble and pick them- themselves up uh, as we go along. So, and I usually tell them that if they've got a question, chances are that there are other people in the room that have got the same question. I usually also give them the magic stick and, and put them in charge of, of their own learning experience. I like to do to flatten the hierarchies in the classroom and so they are in charge of, the, of their learning experience and I'm there just to hold their hand as we go along but I do not mother them. Right, So that's a thing that happens when, when you are a female teacher. I think that sometimes you have to make sure that they understand that the relationship is not one of mothering, right? So I, I actually tell them, like, I'm not here to mother you. I'm here to help you, to assist you, to help you grow and learn, but n- not here to mother you. The third rule of engagement for me is uh, is one about respect and integrity. So I want them to respect each other, respect me, but also be in- integral to, to their own opinions. And so if they've got a question, if they've got an opinion, this is the space for them to to share that. Yeah, so these are my three rules when I sat there. 
for me also just getting students to recognise within the room they're covering a lot of different disciplines, they've got their own sort of different cultural academic backgrounds, knowing that they can learn a lot from each other. So within that space of respect, saying, well, this is also a collaborative learning environment where you can actually leverage a lot from your peers. Um, Mm. And that ties back in then to respecting and understanding others' different opinions, um, different views, different experiences. Mm. I think for me as well, as an individual, I kind of labour the groundwork saying that I've got a very applied background. I'm not necessarily over all of the theory we're covering in class, but if I don't know, I'll come back to you. I'm not going to come in as, as the expert. Um, I'm here as someone who can help you guys learn, and it's also my job within doing that to come back and follow up, to, to support where I can, but knowing I don't also have all the answers. That's mm. not, not my job. That's uh, interesting about, you know, if you like, acknowledging that you're not this perfect and distant teacher. And, and Ferry, you said flattening hierarchies as well. That's quite a challenge particularly first year for students, isn't it, to realise that they're being empowered by you? Does it take a bit of time for the rules engagement to sink in and stick? You have to be able to read the room. Every course is different and every cohort is different. You know, when you are teaching first year students, it's very different. It's a very different experience than when you're teaching third year students. But also when you're teaching to mature students, it's very different to when you are teaching, you know, people in their early 20s. So it's really important to to read the room and to have a sense of who you are dealing with. And that's why for me, the first tutorial I do not do any preparation, but like as in course prepar- content preparation, but like I, I spend the time preparing myself to get to, to know them, right? So be interested in who they are, trying to really understand who, who am I dealing with. And tutorial one is going to be different to tutorial two and to tutorial three. And so I have to make sure that I understand what these differences are and that I set myself for, you know, for success in, in the rest of the course, right? So if I if I know that tutorial one is composed by a predominantly female uh, student population, then that's actually what I'm targeting, right? Like you've got to, you've got to, <laughs> if I'm not going to be able to deliver what they're expecting as this expert in the field, I'm going to put that up, I'm going to put it on the table up front mm. and say, well, okay, this is, this is where I'm coming from. This is my background. This is my experience. Mm. This is my role to support you in your educational learning process. That was almost a buzzword. <laughs> we, can, we can accept yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> so how can we, how can we establish a relationship or rapport meeting in the, in the middle so as we can get to that, get to that goal together? Mm. And Ferdi, you're, uh, you're creating your own buzzwords here which I'm really enjoying rules of engagement and reading the room uh, yeah. reading the room for me <laughs> part of the problem is as, as you as you as you go from tutor to coordinator you kind of lose touch with what makes a good tutor and I think that is an issue but the one central thing that I've always held on to is the need to adapt to who's in front of you if you go in with that one size fits all approach can you speak a little bit about the kind of adaptations that you do when you read the room? How are you changing your style and your content? Actually, before we go into that question, I've got one more thing to say about the, the thing when when we were talking about flattening the hierarchies. I think that's something that a principle that guides me is that of ruthless compassion. Uh, so you can buzz me here if you want. <laughs> it's another good one. Uh, it's, a, it's a concept by a scholar called Maria Sirata and and that's for me really important to to set the make sure that the students understand that I am uh, there for them. Like I, I want to be empathetic and I want to be uh, supportive. But at the same time, for me, it's important to have clear boundary, like strict boundaries. And that principle really helps me because it means that we can have serious conversations, but also having fun. So that's that's a principle that guides me. And in relation to your question about how do you read the room. 
Well, I think that, that for me, that's a matter of, well, as I said, like, I think that the first tutorial is absolutely crucial. If I have to, like, if I were to give a recommendation to commencing tutorials, uh, t- tutors, I would definitely say invest your time in getting to know who you're dealing with. And the way that I do that is, uh, so I usually do name tags because I think that remembering their names is really, really important. Establish that relationship with, uh, with the students. And I ask them to draw a little picture next to their name. And this year, given that we were online, I used Padlet. And so I, um, I set up a Padlet board and I asked them to, to share an image either of themselves or something that uh, represents them and to say something either about the image or something about themselves so that I can remember uh, that Marco likes to do, I don't know, calisthenics or whatever. And I think that, that like they feel, they feel seen, right? So that's a way for me to get to know them, but also for them to recognize that I'm actually interested in who they are and, and the differences between them. Mm. And Rob, how do you go about reading the room and adapting to what you've got? Um, it's interesting that they've raised going online and using Zoom. For me, it's been, I think, naturally much more difficult to do that when you're looking at screens. You don't have an audience of people in front of you um, and you can see whether eyes are staring at the desk or whether they're looking at you and you've got a bit more sort of, you can use your intuition as to whether what you're saying is landing. For me, a lot of it comes down to that to that intuition. You, depending on, as you move through the tutorial, depending on what is working and what is not, um, these are the areas you need to elaborate on and work on more. If that means a class discussion, you get everyone in go- involved. If it means one-on-one discussions between students as a way for them to feel more comfortable about maybe the challenges they're having, you use different strategies depending on the different challenges that come up um, in the process. One of the things I remember when I was still tutoring and not convening was that, of course, you've got like, what, three to five tutorials and they're on the same topic. I always felt that the first group I had is my guinea pig group, right? I have an idea of how I'm going to run it and then I had to adjust because I realized by testing it out. But it wasn't about just testing it out and then adjusting the first one, you might adjust it, but then the first version actually might have worked much better on the second group because the dynamic is yet again different. However, what you've adjusted might work better with the third group. So I think that constant reading the room and and adjusting to it is good. And I think that brings us to another topic I'd like to talk about, namely how you guide as an an educator, right? We've talked about in a way how you rules of engagement, how you set things up, how you get the ball rolling, but when we're talking about the actual learning that's happening in there, how do you guys approach this, like guiding as an educator in the tutorials themselves? Rob, let's start with you this time. I see my role more as a facilitator. I've got, like I said, this wealth of knowledge in the room. Students have already listened to the lectures. They've done the readings. And for me, the tutorials are about coming together and unpacking collectively how we all interpreted that differently to then come to a common consensus on what what we're actually talking about. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's about getting students to open up and share their own personal understandings of literature, of content with everyone else, again, in that sort of respectful environment. So it's, it's this collective learning process. I definitely agree with the idea of the tutor as a facilitator. Yes, yeah, so the, the way that I do that is by encouraging my students to relate the concepts that we're dealing with to their own personal experiences because I think that that's their own way of making them, well, finding connections that uh, allow them to remember uh, what we're actually talking about. So whether it's something that they direct in the news or a personal experience, storytelling works quite well. Uh, and so usually 
I, I adopt a combination of small small group discussions to really encourage because sometimes people when they are facing the entire room you know they feel a bit more self-aware and, and also uh, when the the teacher is in the like the educator and the teacher and the, the tutor is in that in that small group like the dynamics change all of a sudden but when they are talking among among each others you see that they've got a very different approach to sharing so yeah I think that for me is a matter of like creating the environment designing the environment for them to be able to to unpack and unearth the the concepts in their own terms uh, and then usually we reconvene all together and I think that's a great point about building on experience. One of the things that I often noticed in first-year groups when people are genuinely worried about speaking in front of large rooms, worried that they're at a higher education institute and they might say a stupid thing, having small groups that are well-structured and which facilitate just the sharing of experience is just the way to get started. And then you do the assessment, read the room. Are they really good? Are they reading a lot? Are they really pushing? And then you kind of let go and just gradually build them up. But that's the way to get over the the, 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 the shyness and the fear, Rob. For me, it's really, we're looking at sort of contemporary issues within the global south. And in a classroom here in Brisbane, that's often pretty hard to contextualise. But it's very quick and easy to quick Google search on whatever that topic is and find a relevant example in Australia which is current in the news right now, just to say, well, you've probably heard it on the radio, you've probably seen this in the 7 o'clock news. Here's some, here's some content which might help understand what we're actually talking about in this abstract, different part of the world, which is hard to sort of imagine and un- so see yourself within. Given your background in, I think, graphic design? Yeah, product design. Product design, sorry. Given that background, you, I think you, you bring a lot of uh, visual elements because of the design background too. And I think, Fede, you also work with a lots of visuals. So give us maybe a couple of examples of, of some techniques or methods that you use to break out the dynamics and help the learning in the tutes. Using visuals has come through my practice in the sort of humanitarian development space in cross-cultural contexts where there's different language barriers and simply being able to do a quick mind map, a quick sketch, straight away breaks down various barriers and everyone is able to draw to some extent or another. So for me, I do a lot of brainstorming in small groups. Saying, well, here's some pens, here's some whiteboards. Go out there and sort of visually show your ideas. Visually represent this paper you've just read. Allows people to think about it in a very different way. One of the other tools that I've um, was recommended to me by, by a fellow tutor was if the class is a bit flat, you're not getting that verbal engagement, get students into groups of two or three and say, okay, give me a hundred word summary together put that down, shoot to me as an email, or put it up on the whiteboard, we can then collectively look at five different 100-word summaries. So as output helps them digest content and put it out in in quick little, I don't want to say sound bites, in quick little um, passages that also encourages and promotes their the way they write and learn within that space. I use visuals in two ways in the classroom. So one is I, like, I really like the exercise of doing maps together. Well, I think that the, the benefits of doing maps is, so I don't usually uh, make them do the maps in groups, but rather I draw them up by d- collecting information from them. And that's a good way for them not to, feel, especially at the beginning, not to feel the pressure that they have to say something really smart. It's actually just one word that I'm looking for, right? Just one word that I can add and then I can build upon and then I can draw back to them. 
and I've seen that that works really well in the classroom. And and the other way they use visuals is through popular culture. Sometimes I bring in music, or I bring in what music video, musical videos, or or some short videos from from some like some TV show or something that we can relate to and that we can see all together and we can talk about. Movie trailers I find so valuable. <laughs> <laughs> Three minutes to tell a whole film and a whole story. And it's something they can then go away and watch afterwards and maybe reflect on their own time. I have a two-pronged question. So I don't know if this is the penultimate and final question. <laughs> we'll find out. Give us both, for tutors listening in, what's an absolute don't do? Something that you've tried that's and you know just is, is problematic. What should they avoid doing? That's the, the question A. And question B is, for people like us who are you know, becoming old and distant from the student body. Grey-haired. Grey-haired, yes. What, 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 from a tutor's perspective, does a good course coordinator do? You know, how, how, what do you, because you've had bad ones and good ones, and I'm probably a bad one just now. What do you want as a, as a tutor from a course coordinator? In answer to what do you want from a course coordinator, I think that it depends where... Well, maybe some consultation, right? Because you need to understand as a course coordinator the kind of tutor that you're dealing with. So if they are tutoring for the first time, maybe you want to give them a bit more guidance than if you have like a very experienced tutor, in which case probably they know exactly what to do and they would like to be left alone. So maybe yeah, that level of consultation would be good, right? And in terms of don't, don't do, I would say, well, from my experience, I've learned that Okay, so if I were to give a suggestion to people who are starting now or tutors in general, I would say that the best way to be interesting is to be interested. I think that I remember that one of my, let's call them the way that they are, failures tutoring was one semester I didn't put any effort in remembering their names and it backfired on me. So I definitely think that uh, if I were to give a suggestion, I would say spend time trying to remember their names because it makes a big difference. Mm. Yeah. That's another good catchphrase. You're (laughs) coining a few. And I feel like I'm <laughs> stepping behind here. I need to come up with more good catchphrases. Um, I think for me, the don't do is walk into a room as the the all-knowing boss. You need to be accessible. Students need to be able to relate to you somewhere. And if you're coming in as this PhD student, this I, I have so much more worldly experience and academic experience than you, I'm here to, mm. to, to teach you. For me, that's straight away going to rub some students up the wrong way. Um, sure, you've got to be able to know your content, but the way you present yourself in doing so, I think, is really important. In terms of course coordinators, I've never had a bad course coordinator. Um, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I, they won't be listening. <laughs> I think there's, there's a balance between course coordinators needing to give some direction and focus on what they expect to get out of tutors. I guess a, a recommendation for, for tutors for me would also be go to the lecture. When you're in the lecture, you also see what is landing with students, what is not landing with students. That's where, for me, that's a starting point for any tutor. Like, okay, well, clearly there was a lot of questions on this topic. This is where we start from. So I feel like course coordinators can certainly give some of that direction, but it also falls on the tutor to have that that intuition, to be able to read the room, to uh, to understand where students are maybe falling behind and pick up on those cues as, as points to focus on. 
This is really rich. This is wonderful. I could continue chatting about all sorts of additional topics that have just come to mind. But um, I'm also mindful that I think we have now arrived at the end of this episode. Fiddy and Rob, this has been really tremendous. Thank you so much. Um, with or without catchphrases, it was very insightful <laughs> and really good. And there's a few ones and a few tips that I'm going to take away from this as well. So thank you so much uh, to the two of you. If you have heard anything and you liked what we've been talking about, then by all means get in touch you can uh, write to us by email we've got all sorts of presences on social media like the scotland football team we're finishing on a high uh, thanks for joining us in high red heroes and we look forward to your company again <laughs> <laughs>